0: As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT Cares Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash untcares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the OLLI at UNT Alumni Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Alumni Association. The Alumni Association is open to all friends of UNT who are interested in serving, supporting, and celebrating the university. To learn more, visit untalumni.com. To learn more about OLLI at UNT, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member Susan Supak.
1: This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. In partnership with the UNT Alumni Association, the Ollie at UNT podcast presents the Alumni Spotlight Series featuring exceptional alumni. This month's spotlight falls on Dean Lindsay, award-winning author and popular business keynote speaker. Quite impressively, Dean graduated magna cum laude from UNT with a degree in communications in 1991. He has obviously put that education to good use. Dean has been described as more than a motivational speaker. He's been hailed as an outstanding thought leader by Sales and Marketing Executives International, the Dean of Sales and Service by Business Class News, and America's Progress Agent by the Strategic HR Forum. His books include Creating Progress in a World of Change, The Progress Challenge, Working and Winning in a World of Change, and How to Achieve Big Fat Goals, that's P-H-A-T, which was winner of the Business Class News Editor's Choice Award for Book of the Year and recommended in one of the 21 best goal-setting books to read on positivepsychology.com. Dean has sold over 100,000 copies worldwide. Quite impressive. His books have been translated into Chinese, Hindi, Polish, Korean, Spanish, and Greek. Wow, welcome Dean, you've been quite busy.
2: <laughs> Susan, what a great introduction. Thank you for having me on this show. I'm so incredibly honored to be the alumni spotlight for the Ming Green UNT.
1: That's right. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. This is the perfect time to be speaking to an expert on creating progress in this challenging, changing world we find ourselves living in. You have such an impressive list of clients, including the United States Patent and Trademark Office, Aramark, American Express, Heinz, House of Blues, and Marriott, among many, many others. You've spoken to audiences not only in the United States, but also in Spain, Turkey, Poland, Mexico, Switzerland, Sweden, Venezuela, Ecuador, and the islands of Aruba and Jamaica. It might be easier to just have you tell us where you haven't spoken with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you there's a lot of places I'd like to get to, but uh, no, it's been a pretty fun, Rod, you never know what the next phone call or email is going to present as far as an opportunity. So it's been quite interesting.
1: Well, what is it that these groups that are seeking you, what is it that they ask when they want you to join their conferences as a keynote speaker?
2: The main thing I believe they're asking, hopefully they watch the videos and, and things, and they're really asking if my... I guess my concepts or my methodology, the psychology of how we make decisions, which all, that, all the books and stuff mentioned really are talking about fit for their challenge. And it usually does because it's, you know, with the uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office, it was conflict resolution with most of the other clients you mentioned. It was some form of leadership or customer service or sales, but it, it all still comes back down to the psychology of how we as humans make decisions. And then well, I think they like a good show. And that's been the challenge here with moving now to more virtual is uh, I am very interactive in my presentation and moving around a lot and a lot of jokes and asides and just keeping it really, it's a show. And so uh, that's been a, a challenge. You know, that's what, and I, we can't say what differentiates me because there's a ton of other great speakers who do it their way and are quite entertaining as well. But I've got my own little style and people connect to it.
1: I've seen several of your videos, and I have to tell you, I mean, it's one thing to get good information, but it's another to get it in a very entertaining way that catches your attention, and you certainly have the ability to do that.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of that comes back to UNT. Not only was I active in the communication department and the radio, television, and film department, but I was very, very, very active in theater, doing plays every semester. Did the Gaylord Hughes, I'm not sure guys are still doing Gaylord Hughes production, I was on that stage in the Black Box Theater as well all the time.
1: You have another book coming out, I understand, entitled Optimism is an Asset, which I love that title. Scheduled for publication this fall. Are you still on track to have that book available with all this situation going on?
2: I think I could put it out in the fall. I think I'm probably going to keep massaging it and that type of thing and bring it out in the first quarter of of 2021. But yeah, optimism is an asset. I think it's a, and there's just so much more I want to say. At some point you got to just stop, you know, at some point you can't, you got to just wrap it up because there's just so much else you could say, or you find another quote or another helpful thing. And so the main thing, what i found with books is that they give you a platform on which to maybe share something else on top of it. And so we'll get that book out by the first quarter, knowing that there's things that I will add in my speeches or in trainings that relate back in some small way. Because you can either write something on a paragraph or you can take up a whole chapter. It's you know, There's so much helpful information. One thing that I just came up with, I didn't make it up. I found out that it has been said before, but you're going to have optimism as an asset. One of the things that you really have to do is make sure that you are even in, in a position to be optimistic. What I'm talking about there is really what has been referred to as self-care. I like to think of it as self-optimization, but we really should be eating. And this is what I thought I came up with it. And then I found that somebody else said it on the internet. We should eat to fuel, not fill.
1: Interesting.
2: You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? So we got to think about the food we're eating. Like if you eat a bunch of sugar, if you eat a lot of salt and stuff, yeah, you're going to get that sugar high, and you're gonna get, but are you fueling your mind? Are you fueling your body? Are you putting yourself in a position where you can even be optimistic? That's so, so Yeah, oh, it better be. I'm going to put it in my
1: book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a dear friend who was a principal in an elementary school in Manhattan, and she said she found you had to tell people things five times before they get the message. So you can keep writing books and say you know the same thing or more and add on because it's in, the message is important. You got to keep saying it for people to get it.
2: I agree, I agree.
1: What insights would you share, Dean, with us to keep people in the right frame of mind during this unprecedented pandemic and not to mention the unsettled nature of our time?
2: I guess the big umbrella is grace. Give yourself grace. And then I would go into self-optimization. Drink, what do they say? You don't know, have your body weight in ounces a day of water and eat lean protein, stretch, get sleep. I didn't used to talk like this. I definitely wasn't raised like this. I was raised football and, and sports and you just got to kind of suffer through and stuff. But I don't believe that anymore. I think that you got to back up and get yourself Straight. You got to take care of yourself so you even have optimism or the right mind available. So sometimes we just can't force it. I think you need to look back and what, what did you eat? Have you got enough sleep? Did you do some stretching? Did you take a walk? And then I think a lot of times we hold on to what progress, the book's Creating Progress in a World of Change. We hold on to what progress looked like for us pre COVID. And that's our yardstick well, there might be some grace needed to come to terms to this reality that that's not necessarily possible right now, but other things are. So focus more on those. You know, when I I say progress, and I dig into it a lot in creating progress in a world of change, I actually dig into what I call the six Ps of progress. The foundation of all my work Really comes from Dr. Victor Frankl. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And I got really involved in Frankl's work. I'm honored to say that Dr. Jay Levinson, his longtime assistant, wrote the endorsement on the back cover of the new book. But I really got into what Frankl means by meaning. What, What is the meaning we give to our actions? And that's where I came up with the six Ps of Progress. It really is the foundation of what I, when I say the psychology of how we make decisions, it basically is that everything we do. Consciously or subconsciously, we do because we believe, we believe that taking those actions will help us feel the unique right mixture to us of what I call the six P's of progress. Pleasure, peace of mind, profit, prestige, pain, avoidance, and power. So that's all subjective. It's all personal. What society says is progress And what you say is progress or what your parents say is progress or what your kids say is progress. Those are all different things. There's pleasure in eating cheesecake and there's pleasure in not eating cheesecake. It really just totally depends on how you have it sized up in your mind. What's your goal and the way you feel about that goal. But any goal has to be personal. That always cracks me up when an organization tells me that, you know, don't worry about our sales team. They have their sales goals. We gave them their sales goals. I'm like Well, you can, give them, you can give them that goal, but that doesn't mean that's their goal until they internalize the why. Now, the why might be my way or the highway due to you'll get fired, i.e. pain avoidance. But, you know, that's only one thing. One of the other things I'd like to say in, when I'm working with a sales group is if I was a sales manager and I had a sales rep that wanted to buy a boat, I'd be, I'd be bringing them in magazines about boats. I'd be taking them to boat stores. Is this the boat you're going to get? Well, go sell. Go sell. Get you this boat, right? So it's really sometimes it's reframing at this point in this pandemic, is how can we progress? And sometimes you got to look back at your core being of who you are and look at what can you do to maybe better yourself physically or mentally or uh, how can you reconnect? I don't. There's tons of different things, and that's one thing I try not to do in the book was like say, here's what you do, here's how what progress is, because everybody's subjective. I, I'm just trying to explain how I believe in a very simplified way how we choose to act or feel about the actions others want us to take
1: that makes so much sense dean because hopefully we're continuing to grow no matter what our age no matter where we are in life and life changes around us so it makes so much sense that we have to continue to look at our goals in a different way depending on where we are and where the world is around us
2: one thing that is tricky though is the fact that you don't have to you can stay in the rut. People do. People do for years and years and decades and decades. I have. I mean, I'm not, I am not, I mean, this stuff is much easier to talk about than it is to consistently do. But I like consistently talking about it because it helps me consistently try to do it. But it's hard, you know, and, and you want to hold on to, you, if you do stuff and you didn't like what you did or how you're thinking, why am I thinking like that? What is it that, I, you know, something, it's a lot of introspection and, you uh, know, thinking about what makes you tick because if if you can get down to the real you and really what you're about we live in a tough society i mean we, we of course we have so many amazing pleasure you know things we can run to the diversions and things and there's so much ways to you know gain pleasure and avoid different varieties of of pain but it's also a very challenging society when it comes to the external like i mentioned before yardsticks of of what society says successes or what you need in the bank or the title you need to have and and that's tough to to bump up against sometimes
1: it certainly is you advocate that people become progress agents and that they be progress what do you mean by that
2: well you've heard the term change agent but nobody wants to change nobody wants to change but they they want to progress and the, so the whole concept of saying you're a change agent really is not cuz things can get worse each change is inevitable progress is a choice all progress is change but not all change is progress so if you really want other people to follow you or choose you or buy your wares or whatever the situation is you have to be a progress agent not a change agent and that means you need to be able to show them or share with them or Help them feel or connect with them in such a way that they feel that following your suggestions or adding you to the team or, or whatever is going to help them feel the unique right mixture of, to them, of pleasure, peace of mind, profit, prestige, pain avoidance, and power. You must be in their mind progress. You must be progress.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. If you're trying to help someone accomplish something or receive something that they feel that they need or want, that it would be important to know what sort of areas that you would have to be answering for them, that you can make them aware of in order to achieve the goals that they're looking for.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just another way of looking at, I mean, it's just a little bit schnazzier in my mind, a way of looking at features and benefits. I mean, the features is what the thing does. The benefit is how it makes the other person feel by having it or the you know, things it allows them to, to do. But every every good commercial is trying to help you feel that by going to this restaurant or buying this car, or this something is going to help you gain some bit of... Prestige or avoid some sense of pain or gain you some peace of mind. It's already in, it's it's innate in our society. The six, I mean, even though I'm the one who, who kind of coined them or put them together, it's not, I mean, that's all good marketing is positioning that product or service as a mixture of pleasure, peace of mind, profit, prestige, pain, avoidance, and power. And that's why they do market research, is so that they can find out which of those and how to actually share that in such a way that enough of the people agree. And so what I'm sharing is and saying is, is that when you're connecting with somebody, whether it's to sell them something or to get them to like you or to you know, build a priceless business relationship with you, that's like doing individual market research. or one to ask a lot of questions and get, you know, I don't mean in an interrogative way, but just be curious and care. When I say care, it's an interesting word, care. A lot of times we think we're caring just for the other person, but we also need to care about what the other person says so that we can listen for ways to be progress for them. Because the more we can be progress for them, the more they're going to want to build a priceless business relationship with us. And the more they build a priceless business relationship with us, that's the reason I call them a priceless business relationship. There's no end to to that strategic alliance as far as what might be possible to your life, not just to your business, to your life. Hey, I have a family, right? And so build a priceless business relationship with somebody. And yeah, maybe we did some business. Maybe they gave me some referrals. But then maybe they turn around three years from now and they got a couple tickets to a circus. And so, hey, I get to take my daughter to a circus. And then I might have a couple tickets to the House of Blues. And so I'll give them tickets. So you, it's the back scratch boogie. And that happens once there's a relationship. But both people have to think they're progressing. That's the thing. And it's very subjective, and a lot of times it happens under the surface, and we don't actually, you know, if you ever think about, hey, that person makes me feel good. I like, I like being around that person. Well, that's, they give you pleasure. They put you at ease, peace of mind, right? Or, hey, that person's cool. I want to hang around with them. or they got, That's prestige. So, I mean, I mean it's, all, it's all that stuff. It's all, I mean, it's just, just a way of looking at it. So that's what I'm up to.
1: Ken Blanchard, the author of one of the most popular business books, he wrote the one minute manager calls your writings a much needed kick in the pants and i can understand what he's talking about hearing you speak because it's so true if you're looking at your relationship be it personal or business if you're providing that for each other it means so much more than working on a sales quota or trying to get something without Thinking about the whole relationship that you're just mentioning, it's so important to build on. And I know for myself, even when I'm just dealing with people in a business relationship, and yet I feel as though when I'm working with them that they're answering these areas in my life and I want to have a friendship with them. I want it to grow into something more than that. So what I understand what you're saying. It's so important beyond just looking at, I want to make another sale.
2: Yes, it's yes, and uh, the, the important thing there is to keep that in mind. So that's that's what I get to do.
1: I also think it's so important because we meet people in one aspect of our lives, and how often. Have any of us met someone in one aspect of our lives and found that it goes on to develop into something that we never would have imagined when we first met them or where we first met them or what we were doing at the time. I mean, it just grows into something that leads to opportunities that are wonderful opportunities that you never would have experienced had you not begun to develop a relationship where you're looking at each other's needs in that way.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And going back to Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning, I see that fitting in so much with what you say. It's one of my all-time favorite books. I happen to have had suggested to all of my children that they read it. I think it's a very important, very powerful book. I see it in that the meaning of what we do when we encounter people in our lives, regardless of the reasons we're encountering them, are so important.
2: Yes, and it's not just you know, encountering other people. It's anything we're choosing to do. We're doing it for meaning. He came up with what's called logo therapy, meaning therapy, and that's what the word logo means is meaning. I mean, it's it's very powerful to really consider the meaning of our action. Why are we? What are we hoping to get out of all the different things that we're doing? And trying to be very conscious about our day. And that is tough because as we age, we get into certain routines or habits, and that's just how we do things and that type of stuff. And it can lead to short-term progress and not long-term progress because there is some progress, as I mentioned, in eating cheesecake. You're going to get pleasure, of if you like cheesecake, you're going to get the pleasure of eating cheesecake you're going to avoid the pain of wishing you to eat in cheesecake. I mean, there's benefits to eating the cheesecake. So sometimes it's not just what kind of pleasure you're going for, but there's also pleasure in being the ideal weight, right? I mean, there's pleasure in having a boat and needing to make the sales calls to get the boat, but there's also pleasure in taking the afternoon off and going golfing. So there's pleasure in both. It's really how you size it up in your mind.
1: Is that what you find is the most difficult aspect of this that you're talking about for most people?
2: I think in this society, most definitely, because there's a lot of good options. We have so many good options of how we could invest our time. I mean, we got Netflix, man. I mean, there's so many different things we can, you're right. I mean, yeah, there's tons of shows, tons, tons of things to do that you're, you're going to be able to rationalize it in some way that it was quote unquote good for you to do. And I don't believe that's nothing. I don't really believe in sacrifice. Have you ever interviewed anybody who quoted Pat Benatar?
1: No, I never there have.
2: You're a first. Here it comes. Here it comes. Pat Benatar, with the power of conviction, there is no sacrifice.
1: I like that.
2: With the power of conviction, conviction. So, first, you got to get conviction. Well, nobody can give you conviction. You have to. I don't want to say earn or grow or gain or something, but there's got to be a verb to put in front of that. But you have to harness, maybe it's harness, harness conviction. And then you get the power of the conviction. Then there is no sacrifice. All the other things, all those other options, they're still good options, but they're not as good as the actions you're taking towards that conviction. Isn't that pretty cool?
1: It is cool. And you know, it fits in. I was watching a uh, speech by one of the gentlemen that came up with the blue zone where they had traveled around the world and they had found the populations that grow old gracefully, to put it in my own words. They live well. They have a good quality of life. And there were certain things, diet, natural movement, that kind of thing. But one of them was find something you're passionate about. So I find that in terms of conviction, I always thought it was important for people to follow their passions. And I think you can find passions in everything, even in something that might be mundane, as long as there's conviction there. Yeah,
2: I agree. It's interesting, you know, the power of the mind, but you got to harness it, you know. It's not just push, push, push. Sometimes it, you need to, I don't necessarily say and take a step back, but. You, you do have to gain a good understanding of yourself.
1: Yeah, and what we care about. Because yes. there's a lot we can do just routinely and rotely and get into a rut. And we do things we really don't care about. It's just what we do every day. And the day ends and you're tired because you haven't really done anything that's been exciting or interesting or stimulated you in much of an important way. <laughs> so I think there's so much sense to what you're saying. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Now, speaking of convictions, this is a great lead-in to my next statement because you do follow your passions and you do help many organizations around you, even though I can tell that you're an extremely, extremely busy person. You served on the board of directors of the UNT Alumni Association for six years and on the Executive Advisory Board for UNT's Department of Marketing and Logistics. Now, I am assuming with a name like Dean Lindsay, you might have (laughs) a very special parking spot at the university with the rest of the deans, but that's quite a commitment for you as busy as you are. What motivates you to commit that time?
2: Oh, it's, it's so important for me. I love my time at UNT and love the vibe of the UNT campus. I was so incredibly honored. And and it also plays in, I mean, I met some great people and made some really good connections and friendships. It was a wonderful opportunity to, I mean, you can say give back, but just be a part also. I guess I don't like to say give back just because it seems like I didn't get anything. I got stuff out of it too. I mean, it was good I mean, you're talking about it, so I mean, I look snazzy, you know. So I guess I just wanted to be altruistic, and the, you know, what I mean, people, would go, oh, I would just give back to. The... No, I mean, we get too, so I mean, it's it was a good. I was honored, right? Pre- 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 prestige, right? I mean, so there was prestige, you know. See, so it goes right back to all that. I guess I'm just, uh, but I had a fun time doing it, and still try to go up once a year to the homecoming game.
1: Well, it seems like doing something with other people that follow their passions and convictions make you spend time with some really interesting people too. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I understand you mentioned your background in theater and I saw that you were also president of the Texas Association of Motion Media Professionals. That sounds really interesting to me. Do you still do that kind of work in that area? In the 90s,
2: prior to me stepping out as a professional speaker, I was an actor and an acting coach. And that led also to me working some behind-the-scenes opportunities in the art department. And and then kind of worked up my ranks and became the the president for a year of the Texas Association of Motion Media Professionals. I'm not active in the association that much, though I'm a member. I'm not active in it that much now. I haven't done any professional acting work uh, in a while, but I had some really cool opportunities at that time.
1: You prompted me to go back and watch one of my favorite movies, Twister. You were yeah. in it. I heard you were a bad guy.
2: I was, yes. I'm, I'm one of the bad guys in Twister. Uh, Who would know? Who would yeah. have been? <laughs> uh, that was a trip. Yeah, we shot that movie outside Ponca City, Oklahoma, and then up in Ames, Iowa. And the reason we had to move from Ponca City to Ames, Iowa was to match the color of the crops.
1: Interesting. Remember,
2: remember all the corn and everything, all the wheat and corn and all that stuff? And so the crops started turning color. And so we had to move further north to match the the color of the crop. But yeah, I had a lot of cool stories about my time on Twister. Bill Paxton was an amazing, amazing leader and friend and really just a really cool guy. And that was a neat, neat opportunity.
1: Did you ever have a chance to encounter one of the real storm chasers while you were doing that movie?
2: Some storm chasers came out and watched us shoot one time. And then there was one evening... That we had some bad weather, and Kerry Ellis and I and a couple of the other cast members actually went out in his little red, I think he rented a red sports car, and we all went out, a four of us, in a little sports car trying to chase a tornado. And the next morning when the producers heard about Carrie Ellis trying to chase a tornado, they, they encouraged us to not, not do that again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I actually had a conversation with a storm chaser, and they are a very unique group of people. <laughs> you have to be in order to follow something like that. I mean, nature is exciting, but that, sometimes there's a little too much excitement.
2: <laughs> now, I did, I did parlay that twister opportunity into being the host and the narrator for a documentary, of, uh, Chasers of Tornado Alley. It's did a documentary. You really?
1: Oh, I'd that love was, to see that. Is that, that still on- available? I think so.
2: I know I know uh, I mean I've got a VHS, but I'm sure they probably brought it out on DVD. Chasers of Tornado Alley. I was hosting the, the narrator for that for that documentary. It got aired on PBS.
1: Wow. I want to see that. I'm gonna gonna give that a look. You also mentioned your coaching for actors, and you had coached Leanne Rimes, Grammy yeah. Award winner on both the Hallmark Movie of the Week and on the soap opera Days of Our Lives. Now, that's no small thing.
2: No, that was cool, too. You know, that's, that's kind of the you know how things kind of progress. At the time, I was an actor, and so I'm also doing a lot of acting coaching at KD Studio, which is the Actors Conservatory of the Southwest, and kind of being known as one of the top acting coaches for teens at that time, because we had a pretty active teen program on the weekend. And uh, Leanne Rimes was coming into Dallas to shoot, uh, that's where I'm based now, and to shoot a movie of the week. And they needed a, a acting coach for her, and they interviewed 27 different acting coaches in this area. And they got down to five or six, and the five or six got to meet the director and producer, and they chose me.
1: That's exciting. And you were also founding member of the Texas Shakespeare Festival,
2: Yep. Um, Kilgore, Texas. It's still going on. I think they're up to 30, I guess it could be hard too hard to do the math on that. That was 1986 was when I was the premier cast. You know, when I was first in that, I didn't think about founding member, you know, I was just, it was, I literally packed up my truck the day after I graduated from high school and drove to Kilgore and you know, put on the tights
1: <laughs> well that's a great thing about following your passions and following your convictions is you know you've had you've done so many interesting things in life for example you were also the alumni with uh, up with people
2: i did i got in fact that's where i met my wife my wife was a dancer from sweden in the cast and i was a singer from the us we stayed in touch after that year but yeah we had an amazing time that's where i got a lot of stage presence a lot of singing i, I really hadn't sung solos prior to tried to time and up with people. But yeah, we were we were the first cast to go to the Soviet Union. And also we did we been a did a big tour of the middle part of of Canada, Saskatchewan, Canada, in winter. Oh my goodness. But it was an amazing opportunity to be in up with people. It's not a, a religious organization, but it definitely is about, you know, honoring diversity and humanity and harmony and And all that stuff. And so I have friends, literally friends all over the world from my time and up with people.
1: It certainly plays an important part in bridging cultural barriers and creating global understanding, just people meeting each other from different places and entertaining each other. How old were you when you did that?
2: 19.
1: Oh, what a great thing! That's wonderful. And you met your wife. That That is true. uh, Well, I can't end our podcast without also mentioning that you were part of the undefeated 1884 for a Texas State Championship football team, the Fighting Denison Yellow Jackets.
2: D-E-N-I-S-O-N. D-E-N-I-S-O-N. That's right. That was a trip. That was a real trip. We really came out of nowhere. Uh, we were juniors. Uh, my, my group were juniors and you know, we had the seniors and we hadn't been a force in football at all prior to that year. We knew, I mean, well, actually we didn't know we were that good. Uh, we came in and it just clicked and we just made a run. We, so we were 16-0 and that year. I got to play in Texas Stadium three times. I think the coolest thing was when the seniors left and we became seniors, we went 13-1. and So I'm Twenty nine and one in my high school days. Now I was not a force. I did start my senior year in a couple of games. My junior year, but I, I held my own. I it was a defensive end. Was the position I played. Now the other defensive end was all state. Elmer Perry was all state. He was the strong defensive end, and I was the weak defensive end. That means that there's only one tight end on an offense. Do you know football very well that much? There's only, one, there's only one tight end. So the tight end is going to go to the strong to try to block the strong tight end. Well, most teams never wanted to run towards Elmer Perry's side. So they would – every team knew my number because that's the side they wanted to run towards. So they would always try to run towards a number 80. That was my number. So uh, I got a good – I got a good workout just uh, because people did not want to try to go up against Elmer Perry.
1: I am definitely going to have to study up on football. I I know they let me move here from New York without realizing my ignorance in the sports. And I can see that I'm at a real disadvantage around here because I know Texans love their football.
2: Well, I did give you a little bit inside football. I don't think you need to know all to that degree what I was just saying there. But the key was that... Uh, that I did start, and I'm um, also just letting you know that we were there were much better players. But the, the other teams knew that and didn't want anything to do with them. So, uh, they did—they did try to, they did try to come and mess with me, all <laughs> the time, hitting me and blocking me and trying to be mean to me. But you won. We were well,
1: champion team. So there you go. We did.
2: We did. Well, I, you know, I've been playing football since I was six with those same guys. And I definitely wasn't the strongest or the or pretty fast, but I did know football. I'd been on a bunch of football fields and played a bunch of games. So I just, knew, I just knew the game. So I knew my role, too. You know what? That's something else. Now here's something else. A defensive end, Susan, your first priority is not tackling. Your first priority is to make sure that the person with the ball does not run around the outside of you interesting huh you yes, think it was tackling but that's not really your job your job is to make sure nobody because there's nobody else out there you're the only one you're the furthest person out there you got to make sure he cuts in because if he cuts in then the other people can tackle him if he goes around you he's going to the end zone
1: so you learn the importance of teamwork
2: that is that's a very teamwork type of thing my first thing is nobody gets
1: around me that's good another quite impressive talent that you have dean is your love of music and the fact that you write it and you perform. I actually went to Spotify and listened to your new album, Take a Long Breath In. It's beautiful.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, that was a labor of love. I don't do that. I mean, I guess it's professionally produced, but I don't make any money off of it. But I knew that when I was going into that process, but those songs came to me in 2015. And I spent three years on Sundays driving to a studio in Denton. Jordan Martin, a fantastic music producer and musician. And I would sing him the songs acapella. And then we would slowly, slowly build one out. One song, take us six, seven, eight weeks to do one. And then we do another one. And we just kept going. Into... I know I wanted an album. Well, I didn't know I wanted an album until the song Long Breath In turned out so well. And When that song turned out so well. I knew I had to finish the process. So, no, I'm very pleased with that. And we have a music video for Long Breath In out on YouTube as well. But I'm not as proud of that piece of work as any. Those in my books and my girls and you know, my daughters and my wife, that's all the stuff I'm most proud of.
1: Well, I encourage the listeners to go to a music site and listen to it. It's really worth the time you are very inspiring you're a very inspiring person and just as we've talked about your life and so many different areas and so many different accomplishments i think it's exciting and impressive you certainly have followed through with your convictions and your passions and given us the time to share with us what you do i thank you very much
2: I've been looking to, I was looking forward to this, and it did not disappoint, Susan. I had a great, great time.
1: It has been fun. I've enjoyed it, too. Thank you very much. I know you have a busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dean. Thank you. This has been Susan Supack at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, speaking with UNT alumnus Dean Lindsay. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends.